On this episode of Hit the Deck, we talk to the Johnny Appleseed of deck hockey, growing the game all over the country. The Empower Play Project is a youth sports initiative. Our goal is 2,000 rinks in the United States, another 500 in Canada over the next 10 years. And what's more exciting than opening a brand new deck rink? Having Hit the Deck there to join in the fun. Deck superstars in partnership with Empower Play are opening a brand new state-of-the-art, absolutely incredible facility. And we are going to be there to cover the festivities. All this and more coming up on this episode of Hit the Deck. Game on! Welcome to episode 150 of the Hit the Deck podcast, where we talk deck hockey, street hockey, ball hockey, it's hockey in sneakers, and oh doctor, we have an episode for you this week. It is a very, it's on this week, on a very special episode of Hit the Deck. Oh man, okay, so yes, we do have a great episode for you on tap, in the hopper, in the shoot, ready to go, and in order for us to properly launch this episode, it is, it's like a, it's like an arrow in a quiver, it is, it is, it is knocked and cocked and ready to go firing into your ear holes, but before we can do that, we need to tell you who, and you're going to want to know who, because this is an episode. You're going to want to know who, who is going to be talking to you this week. And I will tell you in this week's starting lineup. And for tonight's starting lineup in goal, as ever, I am number 35, your American rhino, Gary McComiskey. And of course, my illustrious co-host. On defense, number four, I'm James Sajazi, and a very special guest with us tonight. Number one through 31, Kelly Kay. I'm the CEO and president of KKZ CBO in Los Angeles and New York and the founder of Empower Play Project. Oh, that's an awesome conversation that I can't wait to get into. So, Kelly, we will be right back with you real quick. But first, a couple of things. One, it's 150, baby. James, we made it to 150. We're, we're a century and a half old. Congratulations, buddy. And you too. This is uh, quite amazing. Mazel tov or whatever. <laughs> yeah, happy <Is> that, birthday. <laughs> yeah, is that considered cultural appropriation? I mean, people over my lifetime, people have assumed that I'm Jewish many times. So does that count? Sure. Okay. My grandmother grew up in Brooklyn saying things like Meshugana and uh, Oy vey. So, you know, I guess I, I, I guess I can use it. I'll give myself a pass here. But that's the beauty of, of Brooklyn and Queens is that we're all a big melting pot. So absolutely. I've used Oyve myself and, you know, we usually get the, uh, the Brooklyn Italian accent more than anything else, but everything intertwines with one another. So that, that's cool. I mean, it's a compliment. It's good. And have at it. Mazel tov it is. Indeed. Or as Italians say, salute. As much as I would love to embrace the Brooklyn Italian accent right now, I am not in the mood to offend anybody for this particular podcast. So I think I'll, I'll just keep that one to myself for this particular show. Actually, speaking of offending people, inadvertently, I might add, I do have to apologize. We did intend to shoot this out last week, episode 150. And unfortunately, we uh, we were going to record one and then something came up and I was not able to record at the appointed time. And then we were going to do a live one over the weekend. And then something that we're working on kind of completely overtook our, our weekend. And so we didn't get to do that. So here we are a week late and I apologize, but we hope to make it worth your while. It was definitely worth the wait. And dear listener, you'll find out very, very soon. So, James, how have you been in the intervening couple of weeks? Oh, boy. Um, thanks for asking. But how was your birthday? I mean, I'm a year older, I guess. That was that. That's fine. It's fine. It was fine. It was good. We went to Applebee's. I had a bunch of waiters sing to me. You know the deal. 
Very cool. My daughter, who is eight, absolutely adores going to Applebee's on the birthdays because she loves, she sits there gleefully clapping along as the waiters sing, you know, the happy birthday, not, not happy birthday, not the actual happy birthday song, but she, she enjoys the singing of the Applebee's happy birthday song. And, uh, you know, being a father who indulges his daughter anytime I can in any way I can, it is a small thing that I can do for her to give her that, you know, enjoyment on my birthday. Very nice. And yeah, when we get into this in the podcast, maybe your lovely daughter will have a place to play deck hockey over in Massapequa too. Perhaps. Mayhaps perchance, James. But uh, (laughs) that is something that we are not quite ready for, but almost ready for. But we will not be able to properly talk about it. You understand how this works here on Hit the Deck. We are bound contractually to not talk about the proper topics of the podcast until they have been introduced in the conventional way. So uh, if you would like to jump right into that, James, then, you know, perhaps we should cease to keep Kelly waiting and jump right into today's on deck. James, could could I persuade you? Could I twist your arm and persuade you, please, to tell us what is on deck for this podcast? No twisting necessary. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you. M Power Play. The American Rhino always invites the listener to reach out to us at the end of every HTD in order to talk deck. None other than the CEO and president of M Power Play Project himself, Mr. Kelly Kay, did just that. And now he's here to tell us all about his incredible work in the deck hockey world. And Deck Superstars, the grand opening of a state-of-the-art deck hockey rink in Massapequa, Long Island called Deck Superstars, is set for Saturday, September 7th, and man, are we excited about it, because Gary and I are going to be there, too. And that's what's on deck. Thank you, James. You're welcome, sir. Yeah, we're uh, we're hobnobbing with, you know, a CEO on this podcast, James. We got to class up the joint here. I got to go put on my nicest sneakers for this interview. Yeah, definitely. This is a man of many talents and and, uh, very wise and, and learned, so... We're going to do our best, hopefully, to put the uh, best interview we can forth for you. So uh, without further ado, there's been plenty of ado because on Hit the Deck, there's always much ado about usually nothing, really nothing at all. But enough of that nonsense. Kelly, welcome to Hit the Deck. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, so the reason why Kelly is on is that he is, as he said, the CEO and, and founder of Empower Play, and that's actually uh, something that we're kind of familiar with here on the podcast, as we've had that uh, topic in the past of what you've done with the Arizona Coyotes and the uh, Tucson Roadrunners. So, uh, Kelly, yeah, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a background of what Empower Play is all about, please. Sure. Well, the Empower Play project started about five years ago in a conversation KKZ CBO is a brand building company. That's what I do for my role job. Uh, it's entertainment based, but I've been uh, involved in the uh, branding and creation of many companies and various brands for the past 30 years. Again, my concentration is more on the entertainment side. And I've uh, a friend of mine, dear friend of mine, wanted to start a new company and, of course, called his friend who does that for a living. And that new company involved hockey. And uh, he had purchased, uh, he's a, um, a design builder by trade over the New England uh, area for the past 25 years, estate homes, commercial properties, football fields, all sorts of stuff. And he was looking for an ancillary business for his construction company. And, you know, he didn't want to build tennis courts. That's sort of an old thing. And pools are, you know, kind of useless in the East Coast. And he was a hockey fanatic. So he went out and bought a bunch of patents for ice making and dashboard systems mm-hmm. and all this kind of crazy stuff. And had no idea what to do with it, of course, and he called his friend. And uh, so we created him a company. We put a, uh, a team on it and developed the brand and developed the nomenclature and everything else that we do in a normal process of uh, helping to build the company. And that got me interested. I had been not, I, I was actually born in Montreal, but raised in Los Angeles my whole life. Spent very little time in Canada. 
But I, I did attempt to play hockey when I was younger. It was just very difficult in the West. But I hadn't done anything or been interested in hockey in at least 35 years. And, uh, you know, I played uh, football, basketball, mainly some baseball. And as my kids grew, you know, that's what I coached them in. Baseball, football. My son played football through four years of school. My daughter was a baseball player. So, you know, naturally uh, there was no hockey. But this got me interested in hockey again. And I started watching with my son and he became a diehard fan. And the process developed from there. And the more I started watching hockey, my cookie creative brain started humming along. And I realized there was a, a big hole in the development of hockey and how they were going to introduce the sport going forward. It's the most expensive sport on earth. Golf doesn't even come close. If you take off the ridiculous, you know, membership fees of some private courses, you're talking yeah. about a $2,500 to $3,000 investment for the gear alone mm. for a five-year-old kid. And you don't even know if his ankles are going to come off the ground. So that's a, that's a big steep price tag for a rural family or an inner city mom you know, trying to figure out how she's going to pay for $100 Jordans, never mind $700 skates. Right. So it's not a cultural thing. It's actually an economic thing. It's, it's, it's literally an economic barrier that's holding us back. So even though the, the ratings of hockey have been through the roof and it's stronger than ever, that's not necessarily true about the growth of the game because of the economics involved. So I decided to uh, write a thesis about how to fix the sport even though I, nobody in hockey, and at that point, didn't really know anybody in hockey. And I'm just, you know, one of those nutcases. If you get me on something, I'm pretty determined and, and, uh, and persevered. So at that moment, we started looking into it. We spent about $150,000 over a couple of years in due diligence, focus groups. Some great questions came out of it about hockey itself, which I, you know, I'd look forward to sharing with you over the call. But most importantly, what happened was at this time that I was writing the thesis and was really evolved around the economics of the game, what happened was this company that I told you about earlier, was we, we launched it. And they were on their own doing their thing and building their... And he started being invited to these, uh, including the Pittsburgh Penguins, to these areas where they were building these outdoor rinks. And as soon as I heard that, that's it. That was the connectivity for me. That was how, because the question was, how do we level the playing field? Deck hockey is the answer. And you don't have to be a rocket uh, scientist to figure that out. You're talking about, you know, again, the cost that we talk about, you know, 125 years ago, there was no mitt in the Dominican. And today there's, it's the breeding ground for the greatest baseball players on earth. Right. We have a thousand of the same types of neighborhood in our own country with no way of introducing the greatest sport on earth to these kids because of these economics. Well, deck hockey is that barrier changer. It is the leveling literally of the playing field. You're talking about a quarter of a million dollars to build these rinks. And there are cheaper versions, of course, but if, if, if for us, it's about a quarter of a million dollars, including the pad, the concrete, the, everything, it, 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 as opposed to millions of dollars. First of all, the building itself right. for hockey. And then you talk about the HVAC systems and the, it goes on and on and on. The expense of hockey is astronomical and deck hockey doesn't have that. So you're talking about a $20 stick, not a $200 stick. You're talking about $15 shin pads. Helmets are almost always sponsored in for the families and the kids playing in the same tennis shoes he's been wearing all day. <laughs> this is the way you, we can introduce the sport to millions and millions and millions of kids. And that is the bottom line for Empower Play. The Empower Play project, our goal is 2,000 rinks in the United States, another 500 in Canada over the next 10 years. Wow. So at that moment, that's when it all clicked. That's how I fit and closed out the algorithm, if you will, of the thesis that I was writing, the economics, how we fix it, how we introduce it, the rinks that we design. And this is all a rudimentary introduction to the sport. It is not about replacing ice hockey. It is ice hockey's younger brother. That's all it is. People can play deck their entire lives. People who don't have the skill set to play ice hockey can play. As a matter of fact, deck hockey can actually elongate the period of which a child can actually learn how to play hockey. Because as you know, hockey is a very difficult sport. There's two things involved. 
there's the game itself, the nuances, the you know, the stick tangling, the rules, the corners, everything that's involved in the actual game. And then there's this thing that's ice skating, this foreign object on kids' feet. And if you get to the age of 10 years old, 11 years old, you can forget it. You can forget ever playing any kind of high developmental hockey. It's not going to happen. And we're generally speaking here. Of course, there's some LeBron kid out there who's just incredibly talented that can pick up anything no matter what age he was playing. But generally speaking, ice skating needs to be adapted really young. Mm. And so that's a problem for the sport right away. Deck hockey elongates the lifespan of the learning period. Because if you're 10 or 11 and you've been playing your whole you know, life, five, let's say five years worth, the nuance of the game is something you already know you know, from the back of your hand. Now, all you have to do is learn how to skate. So it does actually add some time for a kid to learn how to play ice hockey if, in fact, that's what he wants to do. We're not pushing that, of course. You know, there's no threat to ice hockey. This is the way we can introduce the sport to a larger mass audience, period. We can't do it with ice. It's just not possible. We don't have the room. We don't have the economics. Nothing. So that's why we chose deck hockey, and that's why we chose... The reason we chose hockey, back up a little bit, the Empower Play Project, the Youth Sports Initiative. I mean, the EMP of Empower Play Project stands for Educate, Motivate, and Participate. That's what the EMP stands for, okay? But hockey is the last of the undeveloped major sports, and that's why we chose hockey, first and foremost, to launch Empower Play with, just to give you a little background. So that's kind of it in a nutshell of why we started, why I started in Power Play, how I started in Power Play. It, of course, grew from there because of who I was in my own industry and the executive level that I've been working at for a very long time. I was able to get to the NHL Players Association. I was able to get to many owners directly. I uh, was introduced to an incredible gentleman, one of my favorite people on earth, Jeff Morander who's the EVP of the Arizona Coyotes, the person responsible for putting all those asses in those seats <laughs> all those years. One of my favorite people on earth. So I really hit it off with Jeff and uh, amongst the, all the leadership that I was talking to across the country. And uh, he gave me the uh, opportunity, essentially, to, in, at the time, meet the guys. And at the time, it was Anthony LeBlanc, who was the president of the Arizona Coyotes and that leadership, and give them this uh, pitch. And they bought it hook, line, and sinker, and uh, I helped them develop the verbiage for the grant. This happens very, very malleably, for lack of a better term. Uh, there are many ways to do this. You can do that through the NHL and the IGF, which is the Industry Growth Fund. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Uh, that's basically a fund that was put together by the NHL and the NHLPA, and I believe that they put into this fund every year, and it allows the teams, all of the teams, to vie for some of this money for the uh, usual suspects. Uh, the topics, you know, safety, marketing, technology, the sport itself, community relations. There's a bunch of, uh, you know, typical categories that a team can vie for the funding. And in this case, it was community relations and amateur development and, and introducing the sport through Empower Play. And I, as a matter of fact, the actual original grant was just uh, three, four pages of my thesis <laughs> that they asked me literally, can we just, and I said, of course. And so that's how it started in Arizona. And uh, we got the funding at the, originally we got the funding for 10 ranks. And, you know, unfortunately things happened the way they happened. There's been a lot of change at the uh, Arizona Coyotes. Uh, leadership has changed several times since then. My buddy Jeff is still there, but you know it, they've changed the way they're, they're spending the dollars in other places in these days. But I was able to launch four rinks there and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I've met some incredible people there. We are building, we continue to build in Tucson and in Arizona ourselves outside of the Coyotes. And I'm very excited about those partnerships that we have built over the last five years. Uh, we are talking to groups in Seattle, in Tennessee, Florida, a few others in the Midwest. Uh, obviously, the Northeast was a big opportunity for us. So uh, as a, just to tell you a little bit about how the nucleus of these projects get started, we either look for private partnerships in the area or team up with some corporate sponsorship. They're all donated. The rinks are all donated either to the municipality 
or to the township or somehow we we tie that in even if it is a private partnership like the Massapequa Massapequa was funded by a private partnership however we partnered with PAL on their land because that's how this whole thing goes forward we we are not programmers we don't have anything to do with that we are literally the facilitators of these donated rinks across the country uh and our goal is to be like the 40s and 50s where asphalt and blacktops are going up in every corner of the earth. There's a lot of analogies that I hope we can get into in this call with regards to basketball and hockey and how that whole thing started and why hockey is where it is, you know, on the scale of the four and, and those kinds of things. So that's kind of the background and the history of Empower Play Project and, uh, you know, why we do what we do. All right. Great. Thank you. That's a really, really comprehensive overview. So I do want to ask you, you said that you started out talking to different NHL teams. Obviously, Arizona has been a big partner for you, especially in the beginning. And that makes sense being on the West Coast and the relationships you have with them. You also mentioned Pittsburgh. Is it something where you decided to kind of start in your backyard as a test bed and then move out? Or did you just contact as many NHL execs as you could and shotgun out wherever there was interest? The latter, for the most part. I will tell you that four or five years ago, you would have thought that the weakest link in the development of hockey was the West. But th that's not really the case at all. There's, there's been more growth here per capita than anywhere. It's amazing what the Coyotes have been able to do over the 21 years they've been there, going on 22. So it was more of a shotgun approach. I had a, I had a business development team that was working for me at, at KKZ, and that was just scouring the earth, trying to connect dots. And some of the takers, as I mentioned earlier, were the NHLPA and, and some of the teams that I contacted. And then through these relationships, how we developed our first ring. So it wasn't necessarily a test pattern at all. I just went where, where there was interest, uh, you know, and uh, I'm very grateful for that. Now it's, you know, it's a very different story. I obviously my uh, trial and error is way past that. The proof is in the pudding. So it's, it's, it, it, the game is on. And now with my new partner, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the sky's the limit. So we have major plans, as I mentioned, our, high in the sky goals are about 2,000 rinks in the United States and um, and 500 in Canada. And there's a whole technology back end to this where there's a connectivity to all these rinks and three or four larger destinations where there'll be multiple rinks, big sports complexes, and then it's all tied technologically with app-driven information and kids can take their information and their stats and their data and travel from rink to rink and so on and so forth. So there's a community involved in this as well. It's not just these rinks, uh, but, you know, literally salt and peppering the earth here in North America with these rinks is vital. One of the reasons that the rinks work so well across the country is because they are multi-purpose. It's very important to note that our rinks are multi-purpose. We understand that a particular municipality in Chemetsuwa, Michigan, or wherever they are, you know, may not be able to just program hockey seven days a week and 365 days a year. They're doing other things. They don't have the money, whatever the situation is. So these rinks, you can actually repurpose the flooring to incorporate, you know, anything you can think about playing in 150 by 75 square feet, which is about 11,000 square feet and change. So it's soccer, obviously, volleyball, pickleball, lacrosse, which is, of course, growing and huge and so that's why it's so attractive to municipalities, because they get to introduce the sport, which is our agenda or part of our agenda, and they get to continue their own programming, enhance their own programming by playing these sports in, a, in, a, in just a safer environment. Look, there's no latchkey kids anymore. Hmm. You know, the whole idea that, oh, uh, you know, the arguments we used to get years ago were, let's just, you know, take $500,000 and just you know, dump gear on the streets. <laughs> okay, well, who's playing in the streets? Mm. The, the days of, uh, you know, you and I playing hockey, you know, in our in our front yard and a kid, you know, 50 feet away yelling, Car! Yep. you know, that doesn't, that doesn't happen anymore. Mm. For, for a whole host of reasons, 
some very valuable, some not so valuable. But it, they're, they're, no one's doing that. And where are these kids playing? You know, so getting them in a more safer environment that's registered and, and there's supervision and all sorts of things that parents are looking for today makes a heck of a lot more sense than just throwing a bunch of gear at the street and saying, let kids play. I think that that's great and we should keep doing that and try to do that, but get them into these rinks and let them learn how to play in a, in a, in a just a more fluid environment than, again, just because they're just not, no one's doing that anymore. So it's just an important factor, I believe. Sure. Um, again, this is mostly my beliefs, right? I mean, it's, I'm just trying to push our agenda, which I hope is the right agenda. Yeah, well, James and I have always been huge proponents of, of the very things that you've been espousing. And the fact that you are spearheading this is really wonderful work. I think both of us can agree. I am curious. I mean, I think the 2000 rinks in the USA, great goal, no brainer. I'm a little surprised about the 500 rinks in Canada, not because I don't think that those kids, you know, deserve the opportunity, but you would think, or at least I would think in Canada that it was already so saturated with hockey that these rinks wouldn't be required. Is your research showing that there are segments that are being underserved up there? Well, not only are they underserved, there's a big misnomer about Canada. And yes, our data did find a lot of very interesting things, including the fact that I guess nine out of 10 kids today are not playing. Wow. So, so this whole thing that it's in our DNA, uh, you know, that's the Canadian moniker, Mm -hmm. it's unfounded. And this has a lot to do with their immigration policies. Hmm. I mean, God bless Canada for having these great open immigration, but it has literally changed the face of the kids. So they're playing soccer and all, you know, whatever sports that their culture has. So there's a big problem in Canada that we're not seeing today, obviously. But in 20 years, if they don't do something about it, we're going to see a big difference. Now, that's just what data shows us. But here's the other thing. 500 in Canada is a lot. If I'm doing 2,000 here in the United States, we're 380 million people. Mm. You know, what are they, 10% of the population? So uh, 500 is, is actually a big nut, I think. And the only reason I'm saying this is one of our board members is actually on the board of Canada Hockey. So I, I get these numbers and these stats directly from the sources. And there is a big problem there. It's not widely known. It doesn't really affect today, but will start to affect the population or the growth of the game there. And I don't know what those numbers would be. I think it's about 15 to 20 years. But these kids are, you know, these new kids who are new Canadians, that's not their background. They're, of course, getting introduced to it, but it's not their culture. So that's a big thing. You know, ours is more economic. Ours is not a cultural thing. We have just millions and millions and millions of kids who have not been introduced to the sport 100% based on the economics, period. It has nothing to do with culture. There are plenty of kids of color who play the sport, but they're privileged. Mm. Even if they didn't come from a privileged background, Mm. over 54% of our players come from the NCAA. Once you get into the college system, you're privileged. You may come from a completely poor background, but it doesn't matter. Now you're part of some, you know, a club that is definitely not the majority of the world. It is, it is the minority of the world. And so that's a big hurdle, but it's, it's, it's only one hurdle, right? It's not, we don't have, I don't believe we have the cultural issue here. And plus we have just, you know, again, I, like 10 times the amount of people, whatever the math is. So we got plenty of people to introduce the sport here. So, uh, you know, that's what I think about, you know, why Canada, you know, I need to keep it around, you know, some sort of, you know, but there's a lot of deck hockey being played in Canada. But again, it's the same thing. You know, here's the thing about deck hockey that's so great amongst many of the things that we've already talked about. No matter where you live. Okay, so, yes, in the West, we can only play, generally speaking, we can only play indoors. The weather permits. Weather does not permit us to play. In the Midwest and the Northeast, yes. Six months of the year, seven months of the year, there's so many places to play, right? Place Ponds freeze, flash and floods can happen inside of ranks, so on and so forth. Rivers, lakes, blah, 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 blah. The indoor, the indoor system, it goes on and on and on. But come March and April, 
they all go away. And once again, you're back to scrambling for ice time and the expense of that and the travel. That, I don't even get into the traveling that these parents and the investments they're making. And that's a big reason that we started in Power Play Project 2 is that I believe that it's broken. The youth sports industry is broken. It's greedy. It's corrupt. And a lot of the problems have come from that. And that's more on a philosophical spectrum uh, of the conversation. But the problem is that it's still hard to play the sport. We don't have that problem in the West. We could literally play 365 days a year deck hockey. And you can play 365 days a year deck hockey with rinks, just like we've done in Massapequa. And hopefully by next year, the canopy goes in, heating elements, so on and so forth. Yes, of course, it's going to be sub-zero sometimes. And <laughs> yes, it's 118 degrees sometimes in Arizona and kids shouldn't be outside. But that's you know, so rare. You know, you're talking about 10, 20 days a year out of 365 days that you can't play. Other than that, you can play deck hockey 350 plus days a year. You can't with ice hockey, period, end of story. Not possible. You know, I'm talking mass amounts of people. Sure. So, you know, that's another beauty of the sport that I think allows us to create a system of getting kids to know about the game, know about the sport, know about the actual character-driven elements of the sport that may or may not be involved in the other sports. And, you know, there's just a lot of pluses. And why not use the lowest common denominator as that introduction? And that's deck hockey. And if we're lucky, a good percentage of those kids will play deck hockey for the rest of their lives. And um, that's really it. Yeah, we're so excited that you're involved in, in Massapequa, which, you know, Gary and I, I'm from Brooklyn, Gary's from Queens, and we've been praying that something would come up a little closer to our home so maybe Queens and, and Brooklyn can get on board too and follow suit. But did you get over to the East Coast just from the Nassau County Police Activity League's involvement? Or again, was that just through your research and um, working with the NHL and other sponsorships? Yep, it was just due diligence. We have a, as you can imagine, we have an enormous list of references and referrals and things that, that we go through and sift through for people who are interested and I was introduced to a gentleman in the Massapequa area who didn't like his job anymore and wanted a change uh, of life and loved deck hockey and wanted to build a rink and obviously didn't have a business and didn't know what he was doing and all those other things that come into play. And so we created a partnership. And through my company, I built Deck Superstars. The name, the nomenclature, the branding, everything comes from KKZ. And this gentleman put up all the funding as you would in that particular situation. And, and PowerPlay came in to build the sponsorship and the rink. And that's how it got started. And through that process of three years working with this gentleman, looking for the home for this, I think he, he met a couple of PAL guys and he made the introduction to me. And, and then we're off to the races. I flew into New York a few times and met with the PAL officers who in charge, and we were introduced to this Lou Anthony field, and I negotiated a contract for deck superstars to have a home lease-free for a you know, period of, I think it's 30 years at a click or whatever. It's, it's, it's based on 10 or 15 years at a click, but there's a, obviously an automatic renewal and things like that. And then the trade-off was that the you know, half-million-dollar investment would go into building this rink on their land to help their own sports programming. So once again, that's why we partner. If you've been to the Empower Place site, you've seen our partners or people and entities like the Boys and Girls Club, which we're starting conversations on a national basis with. The Y, we have a couple of rinks with the Y. We're starting conversation with them on the national basis. So PAL is obviously one of those entities out there who have been working with children and in their case, a lot of underprivileged children for many, many decades. And this is an opportunity for them to grow their sports programming through. It's a little bit different uh, uh, circumstance there because Dex Superstars is also a business. So there are some nuances there to work out. And, and, and there's definitely uh, some push and pull uh, that happened over the last year. But in the end, uh, in my case, it's, it's really about just kids playing. Again, power play is it's just a youth sports initiative, and, and our mission is pretty clear. It's about educating, motivating, and ultimately empowering kids through participating in sports. 
Yeah, and as Kelly said, you can check that out on mpowerplayproject.com. It's all there on the website. It's fascinating. It's incredible. And also, too, fast-forwarding to the Deck Superstars in Massapequa, if you wouldn't mind just telling us about the rink itself, because from what we've seen from the Arizona rink or the, the rinks in Arizona and the renderings in Massapequa, it's, as you said, it's state-of-the-art. It's what Gary and I dream about. So please just walk us through uh, what, what sure. the rinks themselves are like. Sure. Well, I'm happy to do that, of course, because that's very exciting to me as well. There are no other rinks anywhere like these rinks. And there are fine manufacturers. Actually, there's not that many truly, that are manufacturing rinks uh, across North America. There's really only a handful of them. And we scoured the earth for the best products, the best metals, the best engineering. Uh, we wanted to spare no cost because, again, our rinks are not available to the public. Mm. We do not sell Empowerplay rinks. Our rinks are for the Empowerplay project partners, period. You can't just be some rich guy and go, uh, you know what, I'd love to build a rink on my land, and uh doesn't work that way. <laughs> there are three or four other manufacturers that you can go to to do that. That's not us. So everything we do is proprietary. It may even look similar, but it's not. Proprietary systems in the dashboards, our mounting systems are proprietary in that there was a major problem in ice hockey for many, many years with the gapping between the dashboards and the actual ice. And that is just old school thought process because the refrigeration systems and not necessarily before or after the dashboards and a lot of times they would build it, you know, butt up against the dashboard. And after a while, of course, it's just ice and it dehydrates and, and, and shrinks. So it caused the gapping. And for decades, they're just, they're just filling these gaps with junk, baking powder, there's a product called slush ice out there and, you know, and it's just, it's just, you know, band-aid solutions to a bigger problem. And there's some minor injuries that happen there too. If you get your, your legs stuck in there or, you know, no, I can't, nothing really serious is going to be a problem, but it is a problem. So these uh, patented and, and proprietary mounting systems actually lift the boards off the ground. Hmm. And so the refrigeration systems build and design go past so now it just sits on there. The ice grows past the deck, past oh. the dashboard. So our engineers and the guy who created this whole thing literally just adapted that for deck hockey. And that's why he was invited originally to the Pittsburgh Penguins operations because they were doing the same thing. They were building these rinks and then putting, putting the multi-sports flooring, just smacking them, you know, and cutting. And then so, but not realizing that heat and cold during the day and night would cause a shrinkage and expansion and then buckling and then shifting and then all sorts of stuff. So he just redesigned this proprietary system that he already invented to do the same thing and lift them off the ground. And now the deck just slides underneath. So when there's shrinkage and expansion and contraction, it literally just breathes a lot easier, which is a big problem all over the country. It doesn't matter where you are. Heat is going to expand plastic, and that's all there is to it. So there are a couple of copycats out there, but there's nothing like our ranks. Again, we repurpose the systems and the concrete to, to include any sport that you want. You can actually you know, create drill-down holes, remove a tile, throw a pole in there for tennis or volleyball, and boom, you're playing the sport on the same rink. And then you just take out the pole and you shove the tile back in. We're trying to create a... Uh, you know, optimal size system for this. Our studies have shown that 150 by 75 is the optimal size, which is interesting because we also want to include roller hockey and inline skaters and all those leagues, but they have a restriction. The minimum official size is 165 by 75. So oh, really? anywhere, yeah, that's the minimum. It, they're usually a little bit bigger than that. Yeah, right. Yeah. 165 is the minimum. So obviously ours are custom made. And if somebody wanted 165, we built 165 in Tucson. So um, it doesn't really matter to us. We believe that 165 is a little big for kids to be running around in. 150 is the perfect size for kids. Uh, you can do three ways when they're really young. You can split the rink in three pieces to you know, learn how to play. And then it's a great size for adults to play 150 by 75. Uh, Listen, 200 by 85 is a normal rink. Try running 200 by 85. 
I don't care who you are. You're going to be gassing and puking mm-hmm. uh, in just a matter of minutes. It's just too big. Yep. Uh, so um, shrinking it down by 10 feet on the edges and, you know, a good 25 feet to 50 feet in the length, which is just 25 on the ends. It just makes perfect sense. So we would like to create a standard, if you will, at 150 by 75. But at the end of the day, whatever somebody wants is fine. We obviously want to include inline, which has had a terrible growth pattern for some of the same reasons that uh, uh, hockey has. It's, it's still expensive. Mm-hmm. Those darn skates are not cheap, man. Sure. And, and they play with a lot of the same gear that hockey plays with. Absolutely. So it's very expensive. The aluminums we use are state-of-the-art, down to the bolt itself. Mm. Uh, We use a, um, what taught us in Arizona was uh, weather conditions are obviously all over. What kind of plastics can we use? And we decided not to use plastic at all. And we moved to fiberglass for all the uh, boards. Mm. So our systems are all fiberglass boards, which withstand weather so much more than plastics, number one. And it adds a longevity to the rink itself. Our rinks, another reason they're so attractive to municipalities around the country is the maintenance. You're talking about power washing. That's it. (laughs) And then, you know, if the rink gets a lot of action, which is awesome, Mm. you know, walk around the rink every couple of weeks and look for a loose bolt here and there. That's literally the maintenance schedule of a deck of an Empower Play Project deck rink. Wow. Power washing and walk around the looking for loose bolts. <laughs> and you're and you're looking at 25 to 30 years easy. Wow. Easy of lifespan. What kind of surface do you the use r- on those rinks? Is it a sport court or is it something more custom? It is a sport court type of material. We deal with a couple of different companies including MS3, the guys over there including John Stamus. Uh, shout out to him. We have been developing our own for many years. We're not ready to do that, but they produce a very good tile. It is a plastic-based tile and still deals with the heat and the contraction and stuff like that. So the, answer, the short question, the short answer to your question is, yes, it is a sport court type of material, but we have been uh, doing our own due diligence because we want to improve that as well. We are even working with several manufacturers of the tile because we want to produce a puck Mm. Uh, right now, obviously, the ball is a big part of deck hockey. We sure. want it to be a puck. Obviously, the closer we can get to its big brother, the best. So we've been dealing literally. This is a fun part too because I've never, you know, I, I'm a nut about. I'm just, a, you know, I'm a big sponge for knowledge. And have you ever asked me five years ago, you know, if I was going to be designing pucks, I would have looked at you like you were, you know, whack job, <laughs> like uh, you'd gotten hit in the head with but, a puck. Exactly, like several times. (laughs) And here I am talking about the aerodynamics of plastic and how we can make a puck that floats properly. They do. There is, but we're trying to develop one that is more beneficial to kids as well. And obviously working with the flooring manufacturers is the best way to do it because they're actually producing the what it's floating on. Sort of give it that air hockey vibe, Mm. you know, would be awesome. Slap shot from 150 feet away this high off the ground, you know, for all your listening audiences, I made the two inch thumb <laughs> sure. or finger. So, uh, you know, that, that, that's a pretty much, you know, the spectator shielding is also proprietary. It's a caged metal sort of mesh fencing that looks awesome. Unlike, you know, crappy chain link, but you could do anything glass. I mean, you could, you, you can do anything you want. I mean, it's very, it's, it's, it, we, we do very custom the mounting systems, the dashboard systems, those we don't touch. Those are the only thing we do custom there is actually the size. But everything else, you know, we don't manufacture glass. You want to put glass or plexiglass around there, God bless you. Do whatever you want. Canopies, we have two, three companies that we work across the country with, with canopies. You can spend a million. These things cost 10 times the amount the rink does. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. They do. You can't, I mean, you, you, these things are at the minimum 300 grand. Oof. Wow. You know, the rink itself, a couple hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> so uh, it's funny how that, uh, you know, the canopy is much more than the rink. And no one came to uh, play on the canopy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> do you do lighting packages as well? We have a lighting partner, yeah, out of Arizona. We do state of the art lighting. This guy's amazing. Love these guys. It's called Tap Electric. 
TAP, Electric and Sons, and my friend Tom P, who runs the place. He has a national lighting company. He is the actual uh, electric company for the Arizona Cardinals mm. and also the Coyotes. Oh, wow. So it's a sizable operation. He's a great guy, and he's our lighting partner for Empower Play Project across the country. So, yes, it's, it, it, it's a one-stop shop kind of solution and an interesting one, again, at that because, again, we don't sell these things. You can't buy them anywhere, and, you know, it's, it's not about that. I have no intentions of selling these rinks ever. My goal is very specific. Yeah, God bless you for it, and, and we appreciate that so much because this is exactly what Gary and I have been talking about for the last few years with this podcast. I mean, Gary, if you need another co-host, and Kelly, if you have the time, I, I'll, I'll be happy to bow down because <laughs> basically you just went through my childhood too, talking about the roller hockey and, and coming up with the pucks and the surfaces and stuff like that. And yes, I you definitely know what you're talking about, and, and I could vouch for it because I've been victimized by the gaps between the, the, the boards and stuff like that and, and the pucks that we've tried to use where the best we could come up with were uh, old rolls of tape that we'd flatten out, but they'd still turn on their sides and stuff. So with that roller hockey, we had to go to, to the ball and, and, and all that. But uh, that's fascinating and, and amazing. And that's great that you don't stop either. You know, you, you keep developing, you keep coming up with better ideas. And there's always something out there that could be improved upon. And I mean, just what you're doing for the sport itself is, is incredible. Well, I appreciate that. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm really a newbie. You know, I've only been in this for five years and I don't claim to know everything. I only claim to put in the effort and persevere to do the best I can. That, that's what I that's my claim. And I'm one of those guys who doesn't sleep and uh, is always looking for a better answer. And I pretty much believe I coined the phrase question authority. So, uh, you know, uh, not, not to my parents' liking, I would imagine, <laughs> you know, 50 years ago, but uh, you need to keep striving. You need to keep looking for better answers. You know, the country's pretty messy right now, to say the least, and, and I think we need to uh, continue to find things to help push it forward, and that's what I believe I do on a daily basis on, my, on the business side and the foundation side with Empower Play. And I would do no different designing a rink. I, I've never done that before. I don't claim to be the designer of the rink. I have a partner who does that. And I have a partner who created those things. And, and he's the manufacturer. And I'm just the mouthpiece and the guy with the crazy vision to put it all together. It's as simple as that. In other words, a great leader. That's <laughs> Sorry, a captain. Right here? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, that's you know, what a team the, captain's all about. One guy, I'll never forget one guy who used to... The, Probably one of the best compliments ever paid to me was uh, Kelly can rally the troops. That's what he said about me. So that I will take. That was a good one. So you are Bill Pullman in Independence Day, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that was one of my favorite films. So yeah. uh, I'm all about it. Yeah, and before we let you go, too, and thank you so much for sparing some time with us tonight, we're glad that you focused your attention on deck hockey, too, which we appreciate so much. But if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit more about the deck superstars. Now, obviously, it's it's geared for the kids, and that's fantastic. So just for the listener out there, the grand reopening is due for Saturday, September 7th, correct? That's correct. That's correct. And deck superstars is essentially the brand that we're trying to grow in the area for deck hockey, although the rink is going to be used for lacrosse and all sorts of other sports, deck hockey is the goal. And the gentleman who is the managing partner of Deck Superstars is Sebastian Geritano, who has put his life and soul into this endeavor. And he'll be the first to tell you he broke the bank on it, but it's a very good cause, uh, one of the best causes ever. And Rome wasn't built in a day. So that's kind of what I like to tell them all the time. You know, there's a lot of similarities I was telling you before between basketball uh, and, and hockey. And probably the most important one is, if you think about it, not since the late 60s, early 70s, has there really been any cross-cultural superstars in hockey. You really got to go to the Gordy Howes, the... You know, Bobby Orr's, uh, Makita, yeah. the Hulls, you know, that family, Stan Makita, yes, you just mentioned. Those guys were like, they were as big as Elvis. I'm not, that's, that's actually fact. They had national sponsorships, television dominance. It was different. 
I don't care who you are. I walk, you know, you go anywhere except for a regional area, and you say who's Sidney Crosby, and they're going to tell you Bing's grandson. Like, <laughs> no, you know, like where is our LeBron Bellavo? Right. We don't have one, and that is not the fault of anything other than the fact there is no soapbox. Yeah. Hockey does not have a platform in basketball. You know, people say David Stern changed the face of basketball. He did a lot of great things, but he didn't change the face of basketball. All through the 70s up until the late 70s, in fact, even into the early 80s, basketball was not a great television property. They always battled their younger brother, college basketball, which was already huge by then. And programming and scheduling had a lot to do with that because you know, these guys would be on the road for 10 days in a row, and then CBS would decide to telecast that 10th game on a Saturday in a poorly lit and poorly ventilated arena with, you know, 12 schlubs in terrible, you know, <laughs> short husband running down. And, and it wasn't something. It was like, oh, my God, I can't even watch these guys. And it wasn't really until the late 70s and early 80s that then when Nike came into the scene, they built a platform built on, of course, media and this whole, you know, uh, soapbox of entertainment. And then guys, of course, like Spike Lee came in and Jordan and, and literally changed the face of the soapbox of the platform. And then basketball exploded. Yes, with the help of Stern, of course. It was a partnership. We've never had that. So it came very regional. Then you get back to the economics. That was a big problem. And I don't think that the, the NHL and all their greatness, you know, I think there was a disconnect for many, many years. Where is that transition? Hey, I don't care who you are around the country. You played some sort of hockey in elementary school, on the floor, in the gym, whether it was called bagel hockey, donut hockey, broom hockey, blah, blah, on and on and on. And then comes sixth or seventh grade. What happened? We're all pushed into baseball, football, and basketball. Soccer didn't come in until many, many years later. And so why did that happen? Economics obviously had a lot to do with that. But football's pretty darn expensive. Gear, I mean, not, not quite like the hockey, sure. but still. And, you know, again, there was the, I don't think that the powers that be saw the true transition. And then unless you were in some Midwestern or Northeastern area, there was no high school hockey. There's no high school hockey in the West. Not to any kind of, you know, league play or anything like that. Mm. You got to go to the private leagues. There's no municipality hockey. We don't have a hockey league in Los Angeles. There's no peewee hockey. City, city run, I'm saying. So, you know, what, what happened? And I believe it had a lot to do with that. And again, I think the deck hockey is the answer to all of it. I could definitely vouch for what you're talking about, too, Kelly. In another life, I used to work for a television network um, in ratings and sports and stuff like that. And we didn't have they didn't uh, broadcast the NHL and I wanted them to broadcast the NHL. So through research and demographics and, and focus groups and stuff like that. And that's what the result of that was. And the excuse why they didn't pursue going for the NHL and why NBC kept it and retained it was that. At the time, and even now after winning the Stanley Cup, when Alex Ovechkin was one of the more popular or the most popular, and obviously Crosby as well. But that was the excuse. Oh, he can't sell uh, products because he doesn't speak the language well enough. Or it's Canadian, you know, it's, it's hockey is, is up north and, and all that ignorant stuff that we needed to, to break down and, and justify people watching and so on and so forth. So, I, yeah, definitely I could vouch for exactly what you're saying and, and for the uh, obstacles that you've already overcome. It, it's all true. So that's just amazing, too, how you really know the insides and out of it. And it's just it's so refreshing to uh, have somebody. And thank you for reaching out to us, too, to have you on tonight and uh, just have such an amazing lesson in, in the world of hockey and, and deck hockey in general. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Kelly, I just want to, one last thing from me. I just want to ask you, so when you've been talking about Empower Play and the importance of growing youth sports, it seems to me that you've alluded to hockey being kind of the beginning for Empower Play. Are you looking to branch out to other sports in the future? Absolutely. Unequivocally. I want to do that. I don't know what the, the dynamics of that is yet. But I do know that youth sports is broken. As I mentioned earlier, a lot of the pundits who have been building these giant 
sports complexes are now actually saying the same thing is that, you know, the costs are just so astronomical. They go into these towns and build these giant complexes, and yet the kids from the neighboring areas can't even afford to play there. So, you know, there's a whole shifting of the mentality now, which I encourage. So I don't know what that time frame is, but it is about, again, empowering children and kids. I do that through music and I do that through sports. So the short answer is yes. I think, you know, I, I probably lean towards my own favorites in basketball and baseball and football uh, to push those things. I'm not a soccer guy, so I really don't want to get involved in that. But the answer is yes. One of the biggest parts of Empower Play as I mentioned to you before, are these larger destinations that we're going to build, three or four of them over the next 10 years across the country. And a big part of that is these components that we do. They include youth combine, of course, and health and wellness centers, and also incubators. A very, very important part of Empower Play is the incubators that we produce in these various destinations, because I do that in my own business on the KKZ side, because what about the millions of kids out there who cannot play for whatever reason, uh, economic uh, or physical? We're losing millions of these incredible minds. Well, there's a billion opportunities in sports for these same kids to be involved in hockey, in legal, marketing, technology, safety. I could go on and on and on with the topics that these kids can be involved in the sport itself. And that's where the incubation comes in to nurture these kids who, for whatever reason, can't physically play the sport, they can certainly still invest and help build the sport through these other very important topics that are all part of the business of sports. Again, technology is a huge part of that. And it just takes one kid to make a difference and to build the Facebook of hockey. You know, uh, I don't don't know where that kid is right now, but that's why incubation and uh, nurturing these, these... Look, my goal is not to create the next Wayne Gretzky. And no offense to Wayne Gretzky, I could care less. My goal is to create the next great character-driven people of our country. That's my thing. And we can do that through sports and can certainly do that through hockey. And we can do that through music, which is my other favorite. I don't know much, guys. I really don't. I know music. I know uh, comedy. And I know sports. I don't know much else. <laughs> that's, what I, that's, what I, that's what I know. There are other topics in this world. Who, who, that, that, that's all I need to know, too. So. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I do like to Focus. eat, but other than that, yeah, there's not much that... Uh, Sorry, I do like, I do like food. But food's not a topic. Food's just an accessory to all those other... <laughs> yeah. By the way, we didn't invent the word deck hockey, right? That's another problem. Hockey's so all over the place mm. that we don't have one... Voice. We don't have one voice. So that's why we're choosing deck hockey, because there's street and ball and this and that. Let's just call it deck hockey. It's easy to learn. It's easy to remember. And that, you know, I didn't invent the word. But in my opinion, you know, one of the best things is the log line and our trademark is no ice, no skates, no problem. Deck hockey, everyone plays. Because that's really what it's all about. Well, you're definitely on the right track. Thanks. Educate, motivate, participate. Kelly Kay, thank you so much for coming on Hit the Deck today and talking to us about Empower Play, telling us all the great work that you are doing. Please keep it up and please don't be a stranger to us here at Hit the Deck. It is my sincere pleasure. Again, I appreciate the bullhorn that you gave me here today. And I'm just very excited at the opportunity. And I'm just one of many. Uh, on a team trying to do the right thing and using Empower Play as one of those tools. But I need a lot more team members to help us do it. So again, appreciate the shout outs you guys have been giving us today. One more time, how can our listeners learn more about Empower Play? Log on to www.empowerplayproject.com. That's E-M-P-O-W-E-R-P-L-A-Y-P-R-O-J-E-C-T.com. And remember that no ice, no skates, no problem. Deck hockey, everyone plays. All right, Kelly Kay, thank you so much. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks a lot, guys. Wow, Kelly, that is incredible. Once again, if you want to check out Empower Play, you can go to www.empowerplayproject.com and you can see 
everything that they're doing and and all the the great things that they do to help grow the, the sport of hockey. And one of the things that we have been talking about with Kelly in this interview just now that they are doing to grow the sport of deck hockey, something immediate that they are doing and something that we are involved with ourselves is happening September 7th, a date which will live in awesome Too much? No? No? Uh, James is, is, is grimacing. He's wincing over in his apartment at my FDR. Uh, I, I may have crossed some kind of line here. I'm not sure. What do you think, James? You're the American rhino, so I'll just leave it at that. Okay. So that means he doesn't approve, but he's not going to criticize me because, you know, he doesn't feel like he should. Anyway, so the reason that it will live in awesome is that the deck superstars in partnership with Empower Play are opening a brand new state of the art. If you just listen to this interview, then you know, because Kelly talked it up, an absolutely incredible facility, a deck hockey facility, a multi-sport facility, but they are opening it up with some deck hockey here in our area, in, in the area which James and I generally occupy, which is the New York area, in Massapequa, which is about half an hour away from where I live. So that's awfully convenient. Thank you so much for that, Kelly. They're going to open this thing up, and we are going to be there to cover the festivities. That's right. And if you want to come out and see what this awesome new place is all about, be our guests. But this is exactly what we said to Kelly, something that Gary and I have longed for, for gosh, I mean, as long as we've been playing deck hockey. And yes, hopefully that it will come to Brooklyn and Queens to be a little bit closer to us. But in the meantime, yes, exactly. It, it, it's pretty darn convenient and something that we've wanted for so long. And we're really looking forward to it. The website, as Kelly said, it's decksuperstars.com. You could go check it out. There are renderings of what the facility is going to finally look like, but it's pretty much right there for you to see. So the ball field looks really nice. There's a basketball court and, of course, the multi-sport deck hockey rink, which can be played on all year round. And we are just so delighted to be a part of it. Thank you, Kelly, for inviting us to cover it. And, you know, Gary and I will be popping up throughout the day. Definitely spread the word, too, not just for our own purposes of, of hit the deck, but the whole point of what Kelly's doing and what Empower Play is all about, deck superstars and what HTD is all about, is spreading the word of deck hockey and all the benefits of it and how great it is. And it should be a lot more popular. And, and Kelly's definitely on the right track to making it more popular. So please listen in, tell your friends and come out and play. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted a deck hockey rink. Uh, yes. Anyway. So yeah, you can go back and refer to our social media. We'll be on Facebook live. We'll shoot some pictures and stuff out on our Instagram. You know, we'll be tweeting about it. We'll, we'll, we'll get the word out. So follow that if you want to know what's going on. And if you can stop down to Massapequa, please. I mean, not just generally Massapequa, this, you know, particular specifically the deck superstars and, you know, we just, just come out and enjoy. Cause that's what deck hockey is all about, coming out and having fun. So stop down. Yes, and for your benefit, too, if you need to put it in your GPS, there's no excuse. So here it is, 510 Parkside Boulevard, Massapequa, New York, 11758. Last minute remaining in the podcast. Yes, all right. It's, it's well past that time, I think. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, we, of course, would like to sincerely thank Kelly Kay for coming out and being our guest here on Hit the Deck. We would like to thank you, of course, for listening to the podcast. As you do every week, we genuinely, sincerely appreciate your patronage of the podcast every week here, except for the weeks that we miss inadvertently, and we apologize for that again. But every, 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 every episode here of Hit the Deck. And, of course, we would like to thank Anthony Sajazi for providing us with music for this very podcast for your listening enjoyment. 
So thank you, bro, for all that. And so if you would like to join us here on the podcast, if you'd like to get in touch with us like Kelly did, if you would like to give us your opinion on the podcast or if you'd like to suggest a topic or if you have some other feedback that you would like to feed back at us, force feed us here uh, for the podcast, you can email us at hitthedeck at gmail.com. Deck is spelled D-E-K. Of course, we are at Hit the Deck Pod on the Twitter and, of course, on Instagram and Facebook. We are at Hit the Deck. So any any way you feel like coming at us, we would like to get in touch with you. And, of course, subscribe to the podcast, please. We would really appreciate that. That way you have the podcast on your device each and every week. You don't have to go looking for it. You don't have to worry about whether you got it or not. It's just there. It's convenient for you. It's great for us. It's something that I would highly, highly encourage. James, is there anything you'd care to add here before we end? Yes, thank you. Looking for places to play deck? Then please check out the Columbus Deck Hockey Association, the Charlotte Street Hockey League, the Raleigh Street Hockey League, the VAR Hockey League, the DCSH, the DCHL and deck superstars. And yeah, hopefully uh, North and South Carolina and Florida were okay during the hurricane. And also please donate to LaGrange hockey. And thank you for listening. Thank you, James. Thank you, sir. And thank you for remembering about the hurricane victims. I, uh, you know, our, our prayers go out to anyone who's affected by this thing and, and has been affected. And I now feel like kind of a, a callous jerk for not thinking of it myself. So thanks for having my back here, buddy. Don't feel like a callous jerk, please. We had a lot going on tonight. And thank God that for the most part, with the exception of the Bahamas, as far as I know, that the hurricane safely went out to the Atlantic. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, it did too much damage in the Bahamas. But hey, man, you know, um, we're up here in the East Coast and sometimes uh, we're in a little bubble. But we're still recovering from one heck of a mega storm a few years ago ourselves. So uh, no need to apologize. And you know, hopefully everybody's OK. And, and all prayers go to those who didn't make it out uh, very well. Amen to that. And one final thing that is in our thoughts, dear listener, is you. Specifically, we are thinking about what we always do at this part of the podcast, which is to remind you that whether you are new to the game or changing the landscape, whether you're opening a new rink or hitting a milestone, regardless of what you find yourself doing, we would always encourage you to remember it's deck hockey. Don't be that guy. Thanks, everybody. I know we can't swear on this. Thing, I mean, I can believe you can edit. Yeah, but what the f are we doing here? You know, <laughs> are you serious? I mean, how is that still a thing for crying out loud? All right, guys. Well, this was uh, awesome.